Welcome back. If you're visiting us, then uh, this is the adult uh, class program time between our two services. We have, in the last 12 weeks or so, been going through the core values of this congregation. And uh, some of you will be delighted to know, and some of you will be disappointed to know that this is the last session of this uh, of uh, this term, if you like, this quad this quarter. And um, yeah, next week is donuts and coffee and uh, fellowship, and then it's Christmas. So, as you know, we've been going through the core values, and today is the second week of the last core value that we will be looking at in our, of our congregation. We've been talking about these. So, as you know, we've talked about the reliance on prayer, which was core value number one, the active involvement of the Holy Spirit, the overall atmosphere of grace, or an overall atmosphere of grace within our, the activities of this congregation. We've looked at growing personal relationships with God as opposed to by ourselves, intentional discipleship, every member of the Lord's body being a minister, that of serving and reaching people inside and outside the church. And I did just want to ask the question before we went into today's, and I wanted to really try to close on time to give them time to catch up again for the second service. <clears throat> but I wondered, so what? If you've got to this stage, those of you that have been spending 11, 12 weeks in this material you have been reminded of or actually learned about the core values of our congregation. Values which you may or may not know that we had that were sort of agreed to and understood within the congregation. And I just wanted to invite input of any of you who'd sort of say, well, so what? What is your takeaway if you were talking to somebody at work or whatever that was of interest, interested in your activities at church and somebody said so what have you been doing what have you been studying what's your takeaway of of the things that we've been talking about if any at all you didn't know i was going to ask the question so i i'll i'll be contented if there's no response no reflections Well, good. Well, th- that I couldn't ask for a better response, actually. From all of those, all of you who knew it all already, that was okay. That was it was done especially for you folks, because the if for a new person coming into a congregation, if it is at all important, and so thank you for that response to what you take out of it. That the idea of introducing people to this, the only trouble is that you might say, those of us that have been here for years, we take it for granted. You might listen to this material and think, ho-hum, you know, it's sort of, yeah, you know, we know that already. Can we have something contemporary, something new, a new book off the shelf, etc.? Heather? Well, that's a great, great comment as well and so I thank you for that and I'm sure that you speak for a number of people in saying that that it is a good reminder it's a good review and frankly it's been good for me in going through it and just being reminded and saying what about these things do do am am I supportive will I put my signature to the things that we are looking at 
and live these things. So the last and final core value we have is the expansion and growth of the kingdom. And if we expand that, we find that this core value says that the expansion and growth of the kingdom is inherent in the ministry of Jesus and must be inherent in our church, meaning that we value the growth and spread of the kingdom throughout our community, city, province, country, and world. The scripture reference for that specific core value is this, that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Although it is the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. That's from Matthew 13. But I don't know about you, and you don't have to answer the question. I'm not going to ask it. But if I were, and recognize that we've got 30 minutes at best to talk about this, what do you understand about the kingdom? I mean, is it the kingdom of God, or is it the kingdom of heaven, or is it just the kingdom? Because all three terms are used all throughout the Bible. We can read in the Old Testament about a lot of other kingdoms, kingdoms of Egypt and kingdoms of the various countries that were represented at the time. And so if somebody was to say to you, well, I understand you go to church, and you used the word, I've heard the word, kingdom, what does it mean? What is the kingdom? What does it mean to be a member of the kingdom. Indeed, are we members of the kingdom or is the kingdom still to come? As I think Darlene asked last week and said, well, is it thy kingdom come as though it hasn't yet come? Is it here? Where is it? What is it? And all I leave that with you, I'm, I'm not about to attempt to explain those things this morning. It's, it would be a full class of all that we, we uh, could uh, study. But again, as with subjects like the Holy Spirit, if you as a younger or a newer Christian, if you are visiting and have no faith to God yet at all, if you hear these terms and you say, I really don't understand, join the club. Because to speak with authority and absolutes of these topics, I think, is risky, to say the least. To grasp that the kingdom is something that was very precious to Jesus and very precious to those after his death, burial, and resurrection who spoke of the gospel, the good news, it was very, very important to them and should be, therefore, to us. But to have a full and thorough grasp of it will take much more than we can cover in 30 minutes. So I just want to briefly bring you back to last week. Kelly, in his class, he introduced, if you like, the theology of some of these, of some of these for our consideration. He spoke it from Mark chapter one that says the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. So then there's Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus went through Galilee teaching teaching in the synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom 
And then five chapters later, he says virtually word, I think it is word for word, or it's virtually word for word, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And between those two chapters, Jesus went about doing good amongst the people. And so there's something about this kingdom that about which we can be aware. In Mark 13, and, uh, and sorry, Matthew 13 and Mark 4, we read the parable of the sower. And in the parable of the sower, it says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom, and it's really small up there and it's not meant to be read, it's just that I needed to have the reference for it. But the parable of the sower, which is very known to or very familiar to us, is a parable about the kingdom. What is, how relevant is that to us? Then we can read in Luke 14 through 16, 21. And here the Spirit is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor and, and the other disenfranchised. That there's something about that this is good news. He goes on, it goes on in Acts 1.18. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And what did he speak about? What was the last thing that Jesus wanted to talk about? It was the kingdom. What is the kingdom? And Matthew 28, of course, which is where we tend to go as the kingdom. Jesus' final instructions saying, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And so Kelly brought us to the theology, but really, this is 2017. What does that mean to you and I? And I have to sidebar for a moment to say that this morning, those of you who were in first service have already heard Jay Don's presentation. But one of the things that I guess touched my heart in his presentation having watched his work over these past 16 years, is to contemplate the fact that you look at the work that's gone on in the Ukraine and you go, wow, you know, why can't that happen in Calgary? And the reality is, we don't know God's plan. God has done wonderful things here in Calgary too. But maybe one of them was that we have the financial means and the heart to give it away. Because the work of Ukraine and the work of many other places around the world needs, God needs other places of means and other, other places of capacity and generosity to help them. And so I believe that we can humbly thank God for the ability that we've had to be able to help the Ukraine financially and support them. On to today. Matthew 6.33. If you do have a Bible, if you pull the Bible out, you'll, you may want to turn to Matthew 6.33. You know, this is part of a long text of about uh, three plus chapters dealing with what? Matthew. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, pretty much. So, first seek his kingdom and his righteousness. So the first question is, who's recorded as having said this? Who said this? Sorry? Jesus did. Yeah, it's not a trick question. It's just, um, 
And in some of your Bibles, it's in red. But the reality is, the Bible, you might say, well, the, the Bible is a record of things. And it's red letter because people say this is what something that actually Jesus said, word for word, verbatim, Jesus, Son of God, our Savior, said, but first seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Who does this, what does this word seek suggest? And if you look at the context of it, what do you think about this word seek? Is this like a game of hide and seek? What, what, what do you get from the word seek? Searching. Um, and what, what type of searching would you say? Is it just, uh, when I've got time, I'm going to look for that sock that I lost? Earnest, great word. Great word. Earnestly. This is not a, you just, when you feel like it. This is the Lord Jesus Christ saying, when it comes right down to the nuts and bolts, first seek his kingdom and his righteousness. To search for us in food and clothing and water. You know, I mean, these are things that if you did not have food and water and clothing today, you would desperately search for them until you had found something or somebody that could help you. So what about here? What is it that we should seek? Not a trick question. His kingdom. His kingdom. So who's the his? God's kingdom. That's what it says in there. God's kingdom. Our heavenly Father's kingdom. And lastly, what is his righteousness? Good question. Some places they, some places, and I think he even called you a few weeks ago and asked you on a, on a different topic, but exactly that question. Some of them will be capitalized, some of them won't. Again, this is a certain human determination as to when to capitalize, when to not. Does it change the context if it isn't? Not a whole lot. But fair question. But what is his righteousness? We'll say, what is his righteousness? Speak, sorry. His righteousness perfection. What is the righteousness that's being referred to at the beginning of the chapter? I think it's the first verse. It may not be the first verse. They were, but was it was they won't put it down. It says, "Let your acts of righteousness." So, what is his righteousness? His perfection, his perfection. If we model it back to us in the previous, in, in the whole chapter prior, exactly when. When we give, when we pray, he says, when you fast, he's saying, he, he, he makes the statements as though this is a given. When you breathe, when you, when you eat, when you drink, those are givens. They're assumptions if, of the human life. The text says, when we pray, when we give, when we fast, when we accumulate, when we 
don't worry. These are examples of a righteousness. And so we've got to contemplate Matthew 7.21, the end of the passage that says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What's going on there? I mean, doesn't everybody? Yes. Yeah, what David is saying is that don't take this as a checklist of things to be done and when you've got them down pat that then you have righteousness. Not at all, if, if I'm... I'm paraphrasing what you're saying, but, but, but these are a principle that the whole mindset of righteousness, but they are indicators in terms of in the absence of all those things, you might say, well, what's going on? What is going on when, when the Lord says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What's going on there? Well, false prophets, it says, by their fruits, you'll know them. And as, as David says, it, it may not, it may be, you may have nailed prayer. You might pray tremendously. But what he speak about those people? Don't be false in what you pray. So there's a mindset and a, and a principle of approach to God in the things that we do. But by their fruit, you'll recognize them. By our fruit, we will recognize in ourselves. Sometimes we can just look within and ask ourselves about our relationship with the kingdom. But again, we find ourselves with this fruit demonstrated in our own lives. And although it isn't a checklist, and I totally agree, David, because we could have all these things down 10 out of 10, but not be focused on God. But they are indicators of our lives. And as we look to the kingdom and the part that we play in the kingdom, it's very hard to step away and look at ourselves. We can be here for too long and think, be comfortable in the things we do. I was doing a questionnaire thanks to my son who gave us, we exchange a questionnaire each Christmas, all of us, and um, we fill in the answers to do a book exchange. But one of the questions was, who would you select as a mentor? Who would you select? So who would you select to use as a mirror for your Christian life, for your faith? And you start to, you, your mind goes through and you sort of think, well, I want to pick somebody I admire. I want to pick somebody who's wise and knowledgeable and who also likes me and who will give me good, wise mentorship. But I thought, you know, that's too easy. And as I allowed that thought to just ponder, some of you know the relationship I have with my younger brother, who is a street artist in Barcelona. And it is acrimonious to say it nicely for the most part. Every now and again, the other day, we had a blessed telephone conversation. Truly, it just it was a good day for both of us. But getting back to the point, I thought 
the person to ask to be a mentor, if you really want to know and put your face up in front of your mirror, is your enemy. Is somebody who doesn't particularly like you. Now, why would I say that? Because it'll be truthful. That's exactly right. Your enemy won't care whether they offend you or not, but they will tell you as they see it. All too often we talk to our closest friends and they would like to tell you about your shortcomings, but they don't. And so it's just a thought. As we seek to get our lives or bring our lives before the Lord. There's another place that fruit is he mentions. Of course, it's in Galatians 5. And you know what the fruits of the Spirit are. We've talked to them a lot of it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are the spirits of the kingdom. It's what you would expect to find in the kingdom, the mindset of the kingdom and the people in the kingdom. And you will remember this from a few weeks ago. That was a slide that said, there we go. That's okay. Got it. Why are these things important? Remember, we're talking about the kingdom spreading out from us. We're a group of people who believe in a sovereign God who, who has a plan for this world. Because we believe that God sent his one and only son to die and who gives us away the way, the truth, and the life that was always intended. And because we believe these things, those who do not will think we are strange. Remember that? About a month ago, six weeks ago. So if you told somebody outside of this congregation about your faith, they would look at this and say, you are weird. And then they, if they came to visit, they'll find in this building on Maryvale Drive, this part of the kingdom, this little corner, as it were, that we are even more strange than they thought because they will find in this place a group of people who do what? And you remember we went through this list. They love one another. They are uncommonly joyful with each other. They seem to be peaceful with each other. They are forbearing with each other. They are unusually kind to each other. They seek goodness in all outcomes. They are faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. And as I asked you a few weeks ago, how many of you work in a place like this? You just don't. This is not the world. And that's the whole point of the kingdom. Why would Jesus speak to the poor, the disenfranchised, the brokenhearted? Why do those people want to come to the Lord? Why does he, why would the early church be so excited about talking about the church and the kingdom? Beyond salvation, beyond getting to heaven. This is a place of refuge or should be as a an outpost, a beacon, as it were, of the kingdom. And there's the other third place there, the evidence of the kingdom behavior may be observed. 
And that's right here. As we look at right here, just think about it. Right within the Calgary Church. But here's the, maybe not the trick question, but the, the foundation of what we've been talking about. Ultimately, we talk about prayer and the active involvement of the Holy Spirit. And all of these arrows point into the church. So what is wrong with this diagram? It should be going out. You mean like this? We need to recognize that the whole purpose of all that we've been talking about for the last 12 weeks, the whole purpose of the I believe statement that we talked about four or six weeks ago, the whole reason for being here, we have escaped for this morning to come together into this precious, precious environment a place of love and of joy and of caring. And you may sometimes sit there and say, I don't know who to talk to. I don't know who I would relate to. But you do know that there's people here who care. Some of us have been here a long time. And, and when, I, when I go away, I mean, we go away sometimes and we're traveling. I miss you guys. I know Kelly says that and he has the opportunity each time he travels, comes back and says, it's so good to be home. I was with my family, but I love you guys. And I know many of you feel that way. But you didn't always have that opportunity. If this didn't exist, it didn't exist. And you may not find, you, you may not feel that way. You may feel lonely in this place. It's possible to. But there's a certain responsibility of us to participate as well in the things going on around us. So what are some of the steps to getting involved? We can pray. But what do I pray for? Really, what should I... I kneel down and I... Lord, lead me in your kingdom. But I don't feel led. And there's this thing going on, Maryvale days or Marlborough days next week or something else, there's classes going on and you don't feel a part of it. What do you pray for? What do we ask for? And so, for one thing, perhaps we need to see people through the eyes of Jesus. He had compassion and I don't know about you, but I, I heard a, a lady years ago, I probably told this story. She was um, a university, um, a business student of the decade. She and another lady were getting an award, student of the decade, and she was a mission uh, nurse in Mexico, and she spoke about compassion. 
how do you get more compassion? Do you ever feel, you know, I should care more, but I really don't care. How do you develop more compassion? Because Jesus had compassion. What if we saw people sin for the complex mixture it is, grounded in wounds and unmet needs, unmet unmet needs? When we see sin, do we? Does our heart move to contempt and condescension of the person, or are we filled with compassion? to realize just they are wounded by their sin just as though they had a gunshot wound. And you wouldn't look at a person on the street if you walked out of here today across to the mile and there was somebody lying in the front entrance with a gunshot wound propped up inside, living, not dead. And you wouldn't say, why did he get in front of the bullet? You know, I mean, you know, why couldn't, couldn't you do better by, you know, avoiding the bullet, avoiding the shooter? And yet sometimes we do that with sin. How does the Lord fill us with compassion for the people just out there in our lives? What is compassion? What is compassion? It's worth looking up. So tell me the difference between walking in their shoes, great old expression, you know, you've got to walk a mile in their shoes, versus buying them a new pair of shoes. What's the difference? One is compassion and one is empathy. Which one is which? Well, Ed, you had a 50-50 chance. (laughs) Right off here, man, which of those is compassion? Oh, well. One says, which is the compassionate act? The difference between compassion and empathy, okay? That's exactly right. We tend to get these two mixed up. Empathy is walking in another person's shoes. Is getting down to the heartfelt, I will come alongside you and feel what you feel. Sympathy sees what they feel and tries to act upon it. They may not be successful, but they will try to act on it. Sympathy is driven. I'm sure those professionals in the audience could say it's much more complicated than that. And I would, I would respect that it's much more complicated than that. But broadly speaking, if you look up the two words, one is an action. Compassion is doing something about it. And even Jesus, he had compassion on them because they were housed and helpless. This verse doesn't say it. But in many of the verses where compassion is mentioned, 
There was an action followed. They had compassion and they acted. They tried to do something, which is the whole point I want to capture of the kingdom as God's chosen people, holy delivered. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness, patience. Love. But how can I love? Do you have obstacles to loving? Perhaps you didn't grow up in a loving environment. Perhaps your life experience has never been loving. And that's really burdensome because it's really, I don't know how to love. You may have married somebody like that who, who just didn't know or you didn't know how to love. First question I always ask couples when I'm talking to them about marriages, how did you learn how to be a good husband? How did you learn how to be a good wife? My experience is 99.9% of the time, we don't. We come onto it with all sorts of baggage, always, no matter who we are. But if you are unfortunate enough to not even know how to love, that's going to be a burden to, to, to loving. Maybe you're too busy. You're just too busy. Or maybe you're just selfish. Maybe you look at those that need and say, yeah, but I need too. And I want what I need first, and then I'll give what I've got left over. But we struggle with love. When we love God or others, we're doing, however imperfectly, what God does. God is love. And when we step into loving, ever so inadequately, we are living as living as God. So... We need to recognize that reaching out to someone, no matter how insignificant, requires that we are vulnerable. We take a chance. You take a chance when you put out your hand to shake a hand. You take a risk. You knock on a door and ask if the person needs any help or ask if you can be helpful. Any act of love extension comes from a position of vulnerability because some of you could tell me about well I tried to do this I tried to reach out and they slammed the door in my face or I tried to encourage and they just told me to get lost that's the vulnerability that's the risk think of the rejections of Jesus and I don't get it how the son of God could come to earth and die and be put to death like people like me by people like me and you who hated him in that moment. And so we close this session. Assuming God's word is a source of our guidance in all things, we hold these core values that we have talked about as essentials that must shape who we are individually as a church. We take our core values inward to gain strength to gain courage, to gain confidence, gain knowledge and understanding. And then we need to take those same core values to reach out, to live as the kingdom, as a beacon of hope to those that don't yet know, as we have learned, but who would so dearly love to draw closer to God. Next week, Sunday, December the 17th, the schedule's before you. Thank you very much for your attention. Would you just pray with, pray with me and we will close.
Dear God in heaven, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, Father, we thank you for this morning and we think, thank you for the privilege of talking once again today about things that are part of your kingdom. Dear God, we thank you that you have made yourself known to us, that others so blessed our lives by teaching us about you and about encouraging us in your word and bringing us before the cross. We pray that as we contemplate these core values, Father, that we will not just take them as information or as about the way we practice things in this building, but rather that it will fill our hearts in such a way as to share it with others, to share you every step of the way, that we will share your kingdom, that we will be there as you are there. Please help us see how you are working in the lives of those we come upon each day. And may we be the hands and the feet and the voice that they need to introduce you to them. We praise your name, dear God. We thank you for this morning. And we thank you in all times in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Thank you very much.